0: All right, good morning once again. I'm excited about this time. Uh, This morning we are continuing in our imprint 2022 teaching series through the classical Christian spiritual disciplines. Uh, The first three weeks, the last two weeks and then this week, they're kind of preparatory, kind of uh, building the frame in our mind about how we can best perceive and interact with these classical Christian spiritual disciplines, those habits that have really been a part of the Christian life since the beginning. Things like prayer, things like scripture, study, and meditation, but also things like fasting and solitude, uh, which will include silence and uh, simplicity and celebration, things like that. We're going to look at the whole gamut, the whole range of opportunities that lie before us in the disciplines. Now, we've talked in previous weeks about how the very word discipline can cause you to get a small twitch beneath your eye. Like discipline, I don't like discipline. One, because maybe we have a negative association with discipline. Maybe in our upbringing, discipline equaled punishment. Or uh, maybe in your adult life, discipline equals things like aerobics or running, (laughs) things that make you want to cry inside. Um, But discipline is really a gift. Uh, We talked last week about how discipline is, in fact, the unexpected path that leads to what? Freedom. It's through discipline, it's through training ourselves that we actually open up a whole world of opportunity to ourselves, uh, spiritually and physically, relationally, emotionally, whatever. Through discipline, we find we actually discover freedom. So I think this is time well spent. And today we're going to spend one more time uh, prepping our thinking before next week we jump into the specific spiritual disciplines. Uh, This week is called the three-dimensional life in Christ. The three-dimensional life in Christ. This is the big idea. This is the big idea for the whole series, and this is the big idea for today's message. Our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. You hear that? Our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. This might be the most important statement in this whole teaching series. This is the one thing I want you to be able to carry with you. Because really, a lesson should really... be be transferable, but also portable, right? I should be able to communicate this to you, but then you should be able to take these lessons, the things we talk about, and carry them with you into your actual life. So this is the big idea I want you to to implant firmly into your mind. Our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. The path to Christian maturity Our pilgrimage toward Christ-likeness, it necessarily travels within and through the practice of the spiritual disciplines. You may not like that, but that's the way it is. You're not going to end up spiritually mature. You're not going to wake up and accidentally be Christ-like. It requires intention. It requires dedication and devotion and discipline to get there, daily decision-making that says, I will do this and I will not do that. I will pursue this, and I will shun this in my life." Okay, As Donald Whitney defines it, he says the spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate habits and practices that promote spiritual growth. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity, does everyone know what experiential means? What does it mean? By experience. You actually live these things, okay? They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of placing ourselves before Him, allowing Him to work in us, allowing Him to imprint Christ's will and character upon us. I like that sentence god has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of placing ourselves before him now i don't know how you viewed the practices of the christian life the prayer scripture study uh, worshiping those kind of things before but what changes when you start to imagine that these are the practices by which i more fully place myself before god that my friends is attractive that is exciting and interesting to me. I want to find ways that I can be more and more present, more and more par- participating in the work of God around me. And the spiritual disciplines become those, that training that helps us show up. So, the three-dimensional life in Christ. What are these three dimensions that we'll be talking about today? Well, the three dimensions in Christ, the three-dimensional life in Christ is the inward, the outward, and then the shared disciplines the shared spiritual disciplines so inward outward and shared disciplines okay those are the things we're going to talk about now let me give you some real brief definitions here of what I mean when I talk about the spiritual disciplines first the inward disciplines those that happen inside of us that others may or may not actually see when they're happening the first is scripture meditation and scripture study okay I've clumped those together but they're different right In your mind, is there a difference between Scripture study and Scripture meditation? What comes to mind? What's the difference between Scripture study and Scripture meditation? Would someone help me out there? With the Bible and apart from the Bible. Okay, what? With the Bible and apart from the Bible. Okay. To me, meditation is like a focus on one particular thing and and to kind of let it, you know, fester in your mind. Okay. Fester? <laughs> All right. Good. Good. We sense that there's a difference there, right? Study, in my mind, it's like study is a more focused, uh, to glean something, to gain something, to grow in this particular area constructively, where meditation is more sitting with and sitting in the light of this truth that we find in Scripture. So we'll spend time unpacking that, but Scripture, study, and meditation, here's our definition. Giving our full attention to God's teaching. Giving our full attention and embracing the Bible's teachings. Becoming aware, but then embracing that and incorporating that into our lives. The second inward discipline is prayer. Prayer. Keeping company with God. Philip Yancey's definition of prayer is one of my favorites. It's keeping company with God. How does that feel different than what maybe you've assumed in the past that prayer is? It's just asking stuff. It's just saying, I'm sorry about stuff. (laughs) What does it become when prayer is just keeping company with God? Being relationally in each other's presence. Keeping company with God to listen, to share, to intercede, and to grow. That is what prayer offers to us. Uh, The third inward discipline is fasting. Everyone groans like, oh man, fasting. Fasting. Fasting, abstaining from food or activity so we may quiet our selfish appetites and feast on God's word and God's presence. Does that make it sound a little better? Right? It's like fasting means not eating. And if you have a high metabolism rate, that's like torture, right? No. Fasting is abstaining from food or activity. So that we can quiet our selfish appetites and feast on God's word and God's presence. So those are the inward disciplines, the first dimension. The second dimension would be the outward disciplines. The outward disciplines, simplicity. Simplicity, living free and unencumbered with God so our possessions and our affections can be genuinely enjoyed and shared without destroying us. Okay? Basically, we can receive and we can share the stuff God's given to us without letting it destroy us because it becomes an idol okay the second solitude (laughs) some of the moms in the room are like oh please skip to that one please solitude (laughs) Um, it means more than just hiding in the bathroom (laughs) from the kids right it's entering into times of stillness and silence in order to be renewed by God so we may be fully present with others in meaningful and redemptive ways basically counterbalancing that time with others where we're supposed to give and support and care for others Balancing that out with times away. Times alone where you can heal, where you can be centered in Christ. Submission. Submission. Laying down our pride and our burden to always having to be right or to win or to have our own way. Voluntarily submitting. Giving up our need to be right and to win all the time. That, my friends, is a spiritual discipline. Trust me. Service. The last of the outward disciplines: service. Going beyond ourselves, imitating Jesus and His self-giving love by serving those around us in humility and grace. Have you ever thought of service as a spiritual discipline? That it's a way we grow in Christ's likeness by emulating His posture by going out and washing feet, literally and figuratively. Okay, the third dimension, shared disciplines. The shared disciplines, confession. These shared disciplines are those spiritual disciplines that necessarily require others, okay? That's the difference between outward um, and shared, okay? Shared disciplines. The first is confession. Sharing in God's desire to give, forgive, reconcile, and redeem. Seeking out opportunity to confess and to receive confession from other believers and to seek forgiveness and healing. Second, worship. To know, love, and embrace the risen Christ in faithful community. This, what's happening here on Sunday morning, what this offers to you is a spiritual discipline. It's a shared discipline. Guidance. Guidance. Seeking God's will and direction together as He guides, liberates, and restores. And then lastly, celebration. I love it that celebration is a spiritual discipline. We have to celebrate, and that's part of the ways we grow. Celebration, drawing deeply from the joy, the strength, the creativity that comes through obedience to Jesus. Drawing deeply from the joy, strength, and creativity that comes from obedience to Jesus, which leads to life, life that is abundant and free. We celebrate, we acknowledge, we thank, and we do that together. So... That's a walkthrough of the three dimensions. Inward disciplines, outward disciplines, shared disciplines. These together help create that three-dimensional life in Christ. And our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. And here's the thing. The spiritual disciplines are tools to help us grow on that journey. Now, the spiritual disciplines, inward, outward, and shared, they are necessarily centered in who? Sunday school answer, anyone? Jesus, Jesus, right. They must be centered in Jesus, because if they're not centered in Jesus, what is the danger? They can be centered on ourselves, uh, our reputation. Uh, We can make an idol of the thing itself. You know, things that are meant to be a means to an end can become an end in themselves, and they become death-dealing in that moment centering our spiritual disciplines in christ helps keep our focus on jesus helps keep our focus on his will and off of ourself and our creeping agenda does anyone else have a problem with your own agenda creeping in trying to take over the place kind of elbow jesus off the throne of my life and like oh i'll take it from here thanks god creeping agendas we have those When we are centered in Christ, in the practice of our Christian faith and our spiritual disciplines, we can then experience what God intended for us. Get this, we can then experience the fruitfulness of discipleship, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the unity of the fellowship of believers. These are all biblical sounding things, right? Why? Because they're in the Bible. This is what God desires for us. That we, would, that we would enjoy and experience the fruitfulness of discipleship, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the unity of the fellowship of believers. Now, take a moment here. Think about your life in Christ. Think about who you are in Christ, your relationship with Christ. Where's Christ standing when you're hanging around Him? Now, think about your experience with these spiritual disciplines. We've talked about them. Think about your experience with those spiritual disciplines. Which of these are you most familiar with? And which of these disciplines are you most unfamiliar? Which of these are most challenging for you? I think you know which one it is for me, right? I said fasting, and I kind of groaned and grumped and whatever. Yeah, I struggle. Um, But let me ask you this. As we've talked about these different spiritual disciplines, inward, outward, and shared, was there one of them that caught your attention? Would anyone share with me which of these spiritual disciplines that we've mentioned are you most drawn to at this point in your life? Simplicity? Simplicity? Yeah, you just retired. (laughs) You're like, yes, bring it on. What else? What other spiritual disciplines are you interested in learning more about? Solitude, Solitude. okay. Solitude. Okay, the whole, whole inward group okay scripture study prayer yeah fasting we'll work together what's that fasting. fasting okay i love it that the holy spirit is even now piquing our interest like oh yes yes we could grow in this area we know and the point of this isn't to point out areas that you kind of are, are lame <laughs> you know like oh yep here's a list oops you're failing no this is opportunity this should do- Raise our awareness of, like, hey, God could really work in my life in this area. I've been neglecting this, and there's a lot of potential here. We are drawn to certain spiritual disciplines and we find ourselves avoiding others, right? Because some kind of flow more naturally with our personality, our aptitudes, and some just are challenging and they're hard and they feel more like discipline, right? <laughs> but they're all for us. There's a real risk here in the Christian life, inside the fence, there's a real risk. It is possible to spend our whole Christian life completely unfamiliar with the spiritual disciplines. It's possible for you to spend your whole life calling yourself a Christian, yet never engaging in the spiritual disciplines. And as a result, shortchanging your pilgrimage. Shortchanging, never enjoying spiritual maturity. You can end up living a two-dimensional spiritual life. You can be living in a spiritual flat world Only dabbling in the life with Christ and cultivating a lopsided, imbalanced, and thin spirituality. A thin, watery, insubstantial sense of what Jesus is about and who you are in your life with Christ. A thin spirituality. And to make matters worse, perhaps this is all that has ever really been expected of you in the church. Many of you have been raised in the American evangelical experience and it's never really been about spiritual disciplines. It's never really been about pursuing Christ-likeness or maturity. Maybe you've only ever really been presented with a two-dimensional, lopsided, imbalanced idea of what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be part of the church. Basically, in the evangelical church, it is get saved and then attend and behave that's all we care about you know just come to church tithing would be nice and behave like we said last week don't smoke drink or chew or date girls who do that's all i mean it's like <laughs> attend and behave that's all that's ever really been instilled in us is like oh those are the core disciplines this is really what it's about talk about a thin spirituality often in our church life There's not been a consistent expectation or consistent mechanism for intentional discipleship, individually or corporately, as a body. Most of us have never been consistently encouraged or equipped in the spiritual disciplines. Show of hands, you feel like, man, my upbringing, I've spent a ton of years in the church and it's been pretty lopsided. A lot of Bible stories, lots of things about Jonah, you know, Uh, and manna, we got that, and scrolls. I made a lot of scrolls in children's ministry, but, you know, it's like, was I ever, like, in a formulated, planned discipleship, like catechesis or catechism? You know, I was never really grown intentionally. We're missing that. We've never consistently been encouraged or equipped in the spiritual disciplines. We have had a ton of programs and experiences in church, uh, all kinds of activities, but we have likely been offered little in regards to direction or discipline. Rarely have we seen some experience we've had in the church or some discipleship moment held up against the larger scheme. The larger plan of like, this is why this matters. Yes, in and of itself. However, it's part of a bigger plan, a bigger path you're on. I don't think we've done a very good job of that with direction or discipline in this area. As a result, many of us are left feeling like we are either doing something wrong or we just don't know how to do it when it comes to living that abundant life in Jesus. Yeah, we hear Jesus say it. Yeah, we believe he's probably telling the truth, but I never found it. I've never found what abundant life looks like, right? But here's the thing. Our life in Christ, and indeed our life as the church, it isn't meant to be frustrating. Really, what Jesus offers us, what Jesus calls us into, it isn't inherently meant to be frustrating, disappointing. Our lives now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. And the spiritual disciplines are invitations. Invitations into that life. Invitations to grow in joy. Invitations to discover freedom. And invitations uh, to to embrace. These are ways that we embrace the life in Christ and start to discover it more and more. This isn't something that should be avoided. If we do, it's to our own peril. So, I wonder, in Scripture, is there a place we can look to see this actually happening? Can we catch a snapshot, a vignette of a time when Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, just like us, were actually uh, pursuing this? They actually had an appetite to become all that Jesus desired them to become, to experience the life, the abundant life that Jesus told them about. Where can we look in Scripture to find a good example of Christian living, of fruitful dwelling with God and each other, centered in Jesus Christ? Where can we see a picture of real discipleship happening? Well, I think we can look to the early church. We can look to the early church, that first generation of believers in, that we find that we read about in the book of Acts. We can look at the early church for hints and for clues on what a community of spiritually disciplined believers look like and live like. Let's observe what motivated them and what they valued in their life together. How those three dimensions, inward, outward, and shared, started to show up and bear fruit in their community life. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Listen closely here. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's impossible to read this passage and not be a little bit excited, like, oh, that's what it's like? Man, I wish I could travel back in time and be part of the early church, which, trust me, there were some challenges back then. <laughs> Just be warned. But... Uh, the way they were living life together, you don't get the sense that it was the apostles telling them, hey, you've got to live like this, 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 and this. If you want to be part of us, you've got to do that, 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 and that. No, there was this joyful giving, this glad sharing of life together under the lordship of Jesus. So let's uh, let's revisit verses 42 through 43 first. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, Luke is telling us here that the early church was devoted, they were zealous, and they were ardent in their loyalty to and affection for the apostles' teachings. Okay, it makes it clear that they held to and they listened to and they put into practice the apostles' teachings, both individually and in community. Now, at this time what were the Apostles teaching I mean you know that the, the the biblical canon was not put together yet they didn't have this okay they didn't have like open your King James Bible although some will tell you <laughs> good enough for Paul good enough for me but uh, even the King James didn't exist back then so what when it says they 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 devoted themselves to the Apostles teachings what are they talking about what were the Apostles teaching about And the apostles' teachings, spoiler, became the books of the New Testament. But anyway, they were teaching the gospel of and about Jesus Christ. That which Jesus came proclaiming, and that which the rest of Scripture, including the Old Testament, tells about Jesus. These are the things they were teaching. The purpose and the meaning of Jesus' life, His death and His resurrection, along with the Old Testament. If you read the New Testament, you find it's punctuated with references to what? (laughs) The Torah, the Old Testament, the prophets all seen through the lens of Jesus as Messiah, the one who came to redeem the world through his atoning work. The early church, they committed themselves to each other. They shared life. They worshiped together. They practiced consistent, expectant prayer, both privately and publicly. They prayed. Uh, Verse 44 through 45, And all the believers met together, in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. So the early Christians, they were deeply united in heart, united so much that they saw each other as their own flesh and blood. They they were so united in heart that they shared their very lives. They lived open-handedly. What does it mean to live open-handedly? I'm willing, I'm able to receive. I'm willing and I'm able to give. I'm not clutching, I'm not grabbing, I'm not saying mine. I'm living open-handedly. They gave freely, they were not grasping and hoarding. Now I imagine because this involved people, <laughs> this, in, this kind of living it required discipline in and of itself. It, it required what I call uh, the little deaths. Daily opportunities where you have to decide against yourself and say, okay, well, I'm gonna die to myself here. This is an opportunity for me to pick up my cross and follow Jesus, to let my will, my desire, my selfishness die, so that I might honor Christ and bless this person. They had to practice these little deaths. Because why is this important to understand? Well, we must not forget, we can read about the early church back in Acts with kind of rose-colored glasses, like, oh, this was great. You know, vignettes of lace around all the pictures, like, wow, this is great. They were they had it so easy. No, they were being thrown to lions and stuff, but that aside it was actually people and i have a hunch that even the early church had obnoxious people in it there were people in the early church that were super easy to get along with easy low maintenance and there are some that were pretty high maintenance some of these had to kind of like oh my oh here we go but you do it anyway right i have i have a feeling That some of these people were obnoxious, but in the fellowship, they made sacrifices anyway for the benefit of others and for the glory of Jesus. They together enjoyed the freedom to give and to receive with gladness. Guys, that is a huge freedom. If you can get to a place where you're willing to receive and willing to give freely, you don't attach your heart to everything, it doesn't hurt so bad. When you see someone else blessed because you were willing to give and be generous, that's good. Enjoy the freedom to give, to receive with gladness. The early church, they were willing to share. Uh, They were willing to share because they possessed an awareness of need and a desire to bless. They were at root motivated by the kindness that God had shown to them. At root, never getting away from a sense that God was so kind to me. God gave me more than I could ask or imagine, more than I deserved. He showed such generosity to me, giving me what I did not even deserve. So how dare I be stingy? How dare I be closed-fisted or hesitant to bless someone else when I have means, when I have ability or opportunity? How dare I? We too must go back to say, Hey, how can I live reflecting the kindness that God has shown me in Jesus today? Okay, verse 46 through 47. They, the early church, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, do we see patterns emerging here? I think so. We see a consistent pattern of worship and fellowship in the early church. There was just these two legs upon which their life together walked. Worship, fellowship, worship, fellowship, worship, fellowship. They viewed their homes as sacred spaces. And I love that idea. They viewed their home as sacred spaces. They viewed their table, their dinner table, as a sacred space. They opened their tables to others. They shared meals with, fam- uh, they shared meals with others as if they were family. In the early uh, ancient Near East, in the first century, if you were invited to dine at someone's table, they were saying something to you more than just, here's the mashed potatoes. They were saying, when you're here, your family. Olive Garden didn't come up with that, by the way. I mean, that's biblical. I mean, that's like early church uh, culture. When you're here, your family, there was an intimate welcome extended to others as they gathered around the table and they shared their meals. Together, they were rehearsing something of eternity. They understood that when they broke bread together around the table under the lordship of Jesus, there was a foretaste of the wedding feast happening then and there. They enjoyed and they shared the fruits of the Spirit, which were being expressed and multiplied in their midst as they lived life together. The development, the cultivation of the fruits of the Spirit never happens theoretically. You understand that it's like man I want to become patient I want to develop self control and long-suffering I want to be kind well you can't do that from a book you can't do that at home you have to actually get out there with people and actually the places where it's hard to be self-controlled the places where it's hard to be long-suffering or kind you know patient right they did this as they lived life together and they saw the Spirit do a work in their midst Thanksgiving and joy punctuated everything and guess what onlookers were impressed Those outside the fellowship, they saw how the Christians were living and sharing and giving and enjoying, and they were attracted to that. The early church's life together became a form of worship, but more than that, it became a testimony to the watching world. Their faithful discipleship was effective evangelism. Do you pick up on that? Their faithful discipleship was effective evangelism in fact I believe this true discipleship truly becoming more like Jesus is the most effective form of evangelism there's been much going out and proclaiming you know through propositional evangelism by the church that's not really matched up with how people are seeking to live like Jesus and that's created a dissonance it's created kind of a repelling like oh, I think these people might be hypocrites I think they might be hypocrites because they're telling me something, they're talking about something that I don't see being real in their own lives. They talk about these values that don't really uh, show up in their life together, and I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure I want that. But true discipleship is the most effective form of evangelism. Transformed people, sharing life together in transformed fellowship, it blesses the world, and it proclaims the gospel in powerful ways ways. As we truly start living like Jesus, we start truly living in a disciplined manner as we pursue Christ-likeness, the world will be blessed because it will be motivated to do the things Jesus himself was doing. The things that Jesus said, now go and do likewise. Being fully alive and free in Christ is an incredible witness Being alive and fully free in Christ is a powerful witness for the kingdom. As we live it out daily, as we do this personally and as the church, as we start to emulate these three dimensions in the life with Christ, when we start to be more transformed inwardly, more transformed outwardly, and more transformed in our life together, our shared life, we start to bear witness to the world that is powerful. Our life now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity and it should invite others in by its beauty and honesty." The way we live, the way we faithfully pursue Christian maturity through the spiritual disciplines, it ought to invite others in through its beauty and its honesty. Now in the church, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. I've been slaving over a hot Bible every week for decades. And I know how churches work. We sense a need, and we get busy. How do churches typically respond, though, when they sense that there's a need? What do they do? They come up with the world's best program, right? World's best ministry. I mean, we resort to well-intentioned programs and systems in order to achieve uh, what we see happening in Acts, 12, Acts 2, We see that Acts two dynamic in the early church, and we want that in our church. So, by like muscle memory, (laughs) we go to like all right, well intentioned programs, well intentioned systems, because this is how we must achieve this objective. But the problem is, by creating the world's best program or world's best ministry, that leaves it to working from the outside in. I mean, you can't attend enough programs, you can't go to enough ministry events to truly change you on the inside, can you? I mean, some of us have tried it, right? It doesn't work. So that's where the spiritual disciplines necessarily come in. The spiritual disciplines working from the inside out, they cultivate spiritual maturity. They change the kind of person that we are when we show up to that ministry program. You see the key? It changes the kind of person we are When we show up in fellowship, at that next ministry experience, that's what changes. When people have been growing and becoming more like Jesus, something synergistic and and amazing happens when we come together. When changed, three-dimensional people gather together. As a changed, three-dimensional church rises up A changed three dimensional neighborhood results. A changed three dimensional world results. It all starts here. It all starts here. Imagine if you, yes, you, imagine if you began living a full, disciplined, three dimensional life in Christ this week. Think about that seriously. What would it look like? Where would you begin? What would it look like if the inward, outward, and shared spiritual disciplines started to motivate you and, and to shape your Christian living? Think about it. Who is watching you? Who is watching you, and, and who might this first affect? Parents, it's your children. Husbands, it's your wife. Wives, your husband. It's your coworkers, your, your fellow students, classmates. Those are the people within uh, close proximity to you. They're the first that might be affected by these decisions you're making today. So who's watching you and who might be affected and blessed by your witness? What would need to begin in your life? I encourage you to write this down. What decisions can you make today to start practicing? What needs to begin in your life and what needs to end in your life? For some of you, it's not that you haven't started a certain spiritual discipline. It's that you've been doing something that's forestalled or made it really difficult for that to even begin in you because there's a disobedience, a hardness, a a habit of the flesh, a sin habit that's still there that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be held up to Christ to say, hey, this has to be fixed. This has to be removed from my life. It's an obstacle. (laughs) Obstacle. (laughs) What would need to start and what would need to end Imagine if the spiritual disciplines began cultivating a new and deeper work of the Holy Spirit in you. Guys, this is what we crave, that the Holy Spirit would begin a new work in us. Well, here's where it can begin, by making ourselves more available to the Holy Spirit's work through the spiritual disciplines. What is keeping you from fully engaging, from fully committing to this possibility? Be honest. If God is willing to do this in you and he sent the Holy Spirit to accomplish it in you and it's not happening, where's the problem? Because I think it's in us. I think there's unconfessed sin, there's just a hard heart, there's a stiff neck, there's something that's like keeping us from like, oh, I don't know if I want to fully abandon myself to this. Well, identify it. What is it that's keeping you from fully engaging or committing to the possibility of what the Holy Spirit could do in you? Imagine what could happen in... Your life what could happen in our church if we were all more fully alive and more fully free in Christ if our witness to the world was beautiful again what could happen guys I don't know if you know this but the church's witness to the world right now is not very pretty we've done a pretty bad job by hopping in the sack with politics with certain political parties chasing windmills, causes that seem so important that have really detracted us from the beauty of the gospel. And so we've got work to do, but what if, what if one of the ways the Holy Spirit wanted to work with us is that the way that people gathered at Hope and Anchor Church, the way that you showed up in your contexts, people started to smell the aroma of goodness, of transformation. They said, something is beautiful here something's beautiful we know it's possible the early church was in a hostile antagonistic culture a culture that didn't approve or accept them however the average Joe on the street saw how the Christians lived and how they shared and how they gave and they suffered and they're like that I can't deny it that is beautiful I think something very right is happening there my heart is drawn to it and I'll just trust my head can catch up with it but it's there and I know it. People respond to beauty, and so may the church become beautiful again. Our life now should resemble and prepare us for life with God in eternity. And Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 reality is possible here at Hope and Anchor Church, and it can start today. The spiritual disciplines are where it all begins. May we commit ourselves to prayer. May we commit ourselves to scripture study, meditation. May we start to work down the list and see the fruit start to be cultivated in us. Are you ready for this journey? Are you ready to commit? I can't make this decision for you. Can we commit to this? Let's start now. Let's start here. And let's start today. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the word. Thanks for the, the, the snapshot we get of the early church, how you were so powerfully at work among a willing people. That seems to be the key ingredient. These people loved Jesus. They were devoted to the, the truth of your word as expressed through the Old Testament and through the teaching of the apostles, which would become the New Testament. God, we were, they were a people who had an appetite for spending time with you, keeping company with you, and hiding your word in their hearts so that they might not sin against you. God, may that be reflected in us. Let's start there. I have a feeling that if we become a people who are disciplined in the practice of prayer and of scripture, all the other disciplines become a little bit easier. These become foundational. God, I pray that uh, as we look to Acts 2, I pray that we wouldn't feel frustrated resigning ourselves that, oh, that's not possible anymore. I think if we're honest, we realize that the first century church was living in a culture, a host culture, that was in a lot of ways similar to ours now. Yet they chose to be faithful and obedient, to to follow diligently after Jesus. And as a result, they bore a powerful witness to the watching world. And the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit added people to their fellowship daily. Jesus has called us to be a city on a hill. And I think this is what he's talking about, that we are to shine brightly the, the, with brilliance, the brilliance of truth and of mercy and of welcome to the world. Lord, you've got some work to do here, but, but I, I think I, pray, I, I say this for everyone, we're willing. And where we're not willing, God, make us willing. There's ways we don't know how to follow well. There's some ways we're choosing not to follow well, but God, I pray that you'd break our spirits of pride and stubbornness. I pray that you'd give us receptive hearts that would learn and listen. God, none of us are going to become like Jesus accidentally. <laughs> so God, help us see the opportunity that comes with the disciplined life. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, the author and finisher of our faith. We're going to sing one more song, and this is a time for you to sit with the Lord. Identify those things in you. What's making this hard for you to actually start practicing these things? Maybe you need to identify the starting point for you. What practice is it? What spiritual discipline is it you're going to invest in this week? I'd love to talk to you more about that. I can point you in the direction of some resources, but also I'd encourage you to find someone to travel with you, someone to commit with you, to help with, to talk about these things, to work through it so much as possible guys don't let any more days go by undisciplined let no more days go by missing out on that abundant life full and free that jesus offers to us and tells us about i'll be at the back I'll, i'll be willing to pray with you i'd love that most importantly though sit in this moment turn to christ be receptive and let that sense of anticipation grow within you Every day.